I mean, you had obviously Forsberg waking up and scoring six in the last 12. I think it sounds right. And then, I mean, there's a three-way tie for second after that. Mm-hmm. Three goals apiece. And that list, because I, I would never... Watson, Sissons, Fisher are your next leading goal scorers. Over the last 10 over, games? Over the last, I think, 10 to 12 games. Yeah. Um, that, is, as, as great as it is, and maybe Fisher wouldn't be considering this, but Sissons and uh, Watson probably. That, those aren't the guys you want to see leading you know, second place for as far as getting the goal scored. Yeah. But when you have Neil and you have Arvison you, you know, and, and, and Smith all either injured or not performing well, at least you've got some of that depth scoring. But you're going to see yourself tumble down those lists. And, you know, it's a series of, you know, barely barely squeaking out the wins, the two ones, the three twos. Well, when you take out players like Roman Yossi and P.K. Subban, who sort of drive the way our offense runs, obviously it's not going to function the way it has. Yeah, it, um, James Neal is the best example of that in terms of offense. Um, uh, so, you know, I wish there was a way to quantify, like, meaningful goals. Mm, I guess there is yeah. kind of. Well, we should ask. We should ask um, if if there's something weird in Eldritch we need to figure out there. We should ask Stu because he knows things. He knows. Like Colin Wilson does stuff. You can't quantify what Colin Wilson does, but he does things. And now for the part of the show where we trash Stu Grimson. <laughs> Sorry, I just I, I. It is getting worse instead of getting better. Like I thought, experience made people like improve. Someone He's getting on, worse. <laughs> someone on the comments said something about uh, you know I think Stu's kind of growing on me, and I was like. Uh, what is the uh, syndrome? Stockholm syndrome. No, oh. you do not give in. I watched the Boston broadcast of the game on a couple nights ago, and like I thought it was okay, which shows you the, yeah. the level my standards have exactly. dropped to. The you Jack are, Edwards cast. Yeah, I thought it was oh, fine. Man. You are the frog in the pot of boiling water that is now approaching a rolling boil and not realizing you're about to die. Exactly. Swimming all freaks. No. And welcome back to the show that's, um, well, we're probably about to play on the Pred's fourth line at the rate things are going. Uh, you're listening to the Predcast, brought to you by onthefortech.com. I'm Alex. I'm here with Link and Maria. How are you guys doing? I'm doing pretty good. Doing I'm pretty so good. happy. You're oh, so happy. Yeah, Maria's happy. Let's, so let's happy. explain, Maria. Why are you happy? The Falcons are going to the Super Bowl for the second time in team history. Rise up, people. Woohoo. That's awesome. The Falcons just won the won, won Super Bowl. They just won the NFC Championship game about 30 minutes before prior to us going on. And uh, Link is excited. I know. Very excited. It's a bird. And it's sort of like an eagle. They're in the similar families. So yeah. Yeah. Fa- Falcons are cool animals. Or they're, birds. They're great animals. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. They're great. <laughs> they perform a function. They'll either be playing against a Patriot or a Steeler. Both of those are forms of people, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think a bird could beat up a person. Yeah. Like, a, like a falcon could beat up a person. And I think that these falcons could definitely beat up because they, boy, they are uh, firing on I mean, all as, as, as with, with such a high that Mario hit today with, with the falcons, I, hit, I had a low today. What was that? Uh, I, I bought, um, I went to, to an um, inter-Asian market. It's, one, it's, just, it's on Nolansville Road. Okay. And I was like, I'm going to buy some dumplings. Yeah. So I could get a bag of frozen dumplings. And then... I, I forget, like, I put in the refrigerator at my friend's house, and I'm there for a very long time today, and I didn't think about it, and they defrosted, uh, which is fine for the most part, but by the time I got home, I'm like, oh, crap, because it's been, like, hours and hours, 
they had formed into one super dumpling and I was trying to like see if I could pull them apart, but they were just all dough and I just couldn't. It was just this massive dough and filling and I couldn't do anything with them because it was just this, this, this nightmare. And so I just lost an entire bag of delicious um, and it's not pork about, and pickled leek dumplings. And I can't imagine the dumplings are that expensive. So it's not about the money. It's about the waste of dumpling. Oh, entirely. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to admit, it was like probably like six bucks or something. Yeah. But you like... Couldn't, you couldn't put the whole thing into the oven and just eat it as one super dumpling? <laughs> it was... It would have been like really like gross, I think, because it just had formed and melded and I was trying so hard. I'm like, maybe if I froze it and tried again, but no, they were just like this giant mass of of dough that just merged together and I'm still recovering from that. That doesn't sound, I'm sorry about that. that, that uh, thank that you. No, I appreciate your sympathy. Um, I did not do anything dumpling related or I did watch the Falcons game, but um, a pretty, pretty, uh, pretty plain weekend, I guess, uh, preparing for uh, the oncoming week. And uh, all of a sudden it's actually kind of warm outside, which kind of threw me off. I really would rather be cold. I really like cold weather, but here we are. It's 65 degrees and like kind of weird outside. So, <laughs> um, in the meantime, the Predators played three games this week. They went two one and zero in uh, three games in Western Canada. Uh, it started off with a disappointing loss to the Canucks, um, where they lost one to nothing. But then they went to Calgary and nearly gave up a four zero lead. Well, they did give up a four lead. It ended up four three, but they did win. And then uh, just when it looked like Edmonton was going to steal two points from them, uh, then they, they pulled out a shootout win in Edmonton. So uh, what are your initial reactions to this week and the, uh, the, the little mini road trip out west? Well, it's not over yet. They play in Minnesota tonight. But uh, so far, how, how, how do you think they've looked? I, it, it's, it always feels a little disingenuous when you look at a 2-1 like week and, and be like, that was kind of a disappointing week. Uh, just because it, it's like this is this is the team scraping out those one two goal wins losses like they did the prior week, um, you know, rolling a fourth line that could not get the puck up the ice, um, you know, if if you covered it in I don't know coupons for for dentures, um, <laughs> it just it was it just seemed like there was just great reasons why everything was just sad, and they managed to win two games. And the Calgary one was convincing up until they, they decided to collapse, and, and then the Oilers one was just a little bit weird. And Vancouver, I mean, granted, Vancouver was like six, like they, they had won six, six, I'm trying to remember what they were. Yeah, I've written six, one, and three, mm-hmm. like as of today. And I mean, that's pretty good, and so that says they've been playing well and turning around, and Ryan Miller was fantastic, and, but still, one zero? Yeah. Especially the way it happened with some of the bizarre, that bizarre call that probably for some reason, depress the team rather than energize them. Right, right, right. It, it, is, it was a strange week because it felt so, you know, it, it ended up being 2-1-0. It felt so close to a 3-0, a 3-0 week, but it also felt really close to like an 0-3 week because of the way that they won these games. Um, I don't know, what do you think? Yeah, I totally agree with that, the way that it felt kind of like a 3-0 week and also like an 0-3 week. Two and one is sort of what I expected going to this week, maybe with a little different way, like a win in Vancouver and a loss in Edmonton. Yeah, that's what I thought. But I, we can pick it apart, but at the end of the week, it is four points out of six. Right. And the, the Predators now sit um, in third, not not completely in third, but they're in third in the Central. They, In a very technical sense, they are in third place in the Central, <laughs> in the sense. most technical sense. Yeah, which means that they have 51 points. The Blues also have 51 points. The Predators have one game in hand, so... 
after tonight. I guess we'll see, you know, whether they have sole third place or if they drop down below. Um, but you know, either way, they're 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 in a playoff spot. You know, still what 30, 40 games to go. Uh, no, I'm sorry, thirty games to go, something like that. Uh, but you know, the Predators seem to be scraping together these wins that are very atypical of what we'd expect. Uh, the good news. P.K. Subban returns. Uh, he returned to the game against Calgary. Is that, is that right? That, or do you, I'm No, blanking. it was against Edmonton. That's right, yeah. He returned against Edmonton. Sorry. Uh, he returned against Edmonton, so they, he'll, he'll, it'll be his second game back tonight against Minnesota. But um, So that's good news. Subban has returned. Uh, I, we can maybe, maybe we'll talk about this when we talk about the Edmonton game, but were you surprised that he... Still played about 23 minutes and really was working pretty hard out there, even after the uh, the cheap shot that he took early on in the game. Are you surprised by that? I'm just glad that after the cheap shot, he got back up. Yeah, agreed. Right. I mean, that was not a small thing. And I don't. I didn't see anything about any response from that. Oh, no, no. no. Like, I mean, that was incredibly careless. Just... But just line it up around the other, uh, you know, I mean, the other do, cheap shots. Do I think it was intentional? I, I mean, watching the play, I think Hendricks was trying to cut around, and he was trying to get his, you know, body out of. He was trying to get himself out of the way because he wanted to just go around mm-hmm. Subban, but his elbow caught yeah. Subban. And if you're responsible for what your stick's doing on the ice, yeah. even if it's an accident or someone right. knocks your stick up into someone's face, you should be responsible for your elbow too. Yeah, I mean, plenty of other players have been, uh, on, both I, on the Predators uh, and not, have been suspended for that. There are plenty of dangerous plays, dangerous hits, where the guy making the hit, there was not intent. Yeah, Doesn't I mean, mean it's not a hit you have to penalize. Right. Yeah, I don't know if he meant to get him in the head with his elbow, but he was definitely meaning to get a piece of Subban. Well, I mean, with, with the way he was coming in, the only thing he was going to catch Subban was his elbow and the height it was. So, I mean, it's, I, I, it's either he was trying to get out of the way, trying to cut, a, cut around by getting his stick out, not getting caught in the boards, because that was kind of the other option. He was trying to get his stick more vertical uh-huh. and caught Subban, and it was a pure accident, or he was going after Subban on purpose. I, I, I kind of see it as a, as a very black or white thing. He was either trying to get out of the way, it was a really bad accident, or he was going, he was, because there, there was nothing else he was going to hit at that point but Subban's head. Right. And I, I'm I'm not real familiar with the history of Matt Hendricks. I don't know if he has a history of, of cheap shots. Um, so I, I, I don't. That I mean, so. he was a pretty innocuous predator. He's been a pretty innocuous unless, uh, oiler. Unless the uh, pres- he, presence of Milan Lucic has, has uh, rubbed off on him, but um, we'll get to that later, I guess. But um, so, all right. So let, let's back up a little bit and talk about Tuesday versus Vancouver. So this is a pretty abysmal game to watch. I mean, it was a late night start. No goals being scored. Ryan Miller is shutting out. Who's you know? It's one thing if you're watching like a, a you know a a great goalie in his heyday, some someone like a Carey Price or a, a Holtby or someone you know making just playing great and out of his mind. Ryan Miller playing this way, it's just kind of boring, and it's like oh gosh, here we go again. Uh, and then giving up a fluky goal late in the third, really just a pretty disappointing way to start off the week. Um, so if you stayed up for this one, probably not a happy camper the next day. I know I wasn't. Um, but one theme that started from this Tuesday game and continued through the rest of the week, Brian Ellis, Brian Ellis has been probably the best, the the best predator of the week. Uh, he has had a great week scoring goals, playing incredible defense, making passes, um, just a incredible, incredible week from him. And really uh, in what has been a great season as well. 
Yeah, he's been the best Predators defenseman, if not the best Preds player over this past week, with honorable mention to Arvidsson. But I've been very impressed with him, especially with the shootout winner. Yeah, he, in the Vancouver game, he led, uh, Ryan Ellis led all Predators with 28 shot attempts while on the ice. Um, there were Austin Watson and uh, Victor Arvidsson played well as well. So I, 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 The thing that I've liked about Ellis is that he's, you know, in a given week when the defense is fully healthy, he's not the best defenseman on the team. But he is a he's a colossal stabilizing force and he is the I think the only predator and you know full credit to Yosin Suman the only part he's like a complete end-to-end player yeah. for the predators um I mean if you need him to jump up he's got the agility to jump up and then he's got the ability to skate back um you know he he, he can call the plays he can make decisions you know he, he can be back there and kind of be the brain on the ice and a lot of times the predators need a little bit more brain yeah uh a great point to, to try and move things forward and so with got a great brain yeah <laughs> with guys like yossi and suban you know being missing for a big chunk of last week um having that option and having him step up is really really just exactly what the team needed his i'll, I'll say this about his goals that he scored this week they, they weren't exactly goal scores goals i mean they a couple of them are maybe a little bit lucky but but he, he you're right he makes he always makes good decisions and he's a lot faster than i think people give him credit for i mean people talk about suban speed and arvidson and craig smith but I, I mean ryan ellis is one of the faster players on the team in, in terms of the way he plays maybe not top speed but but uh the way he plays his work rate i guess you know which is a common sort of uh, term from soccer his work rate per 60 is incredible his work rate per 60 is pretty good offensively and defensively and, and that kind of consistency is really really great there are certain players on the team uh, we all know who we're talking about who just don't work as fast just don't seem to work as fast offensively or defensively and uh, ryan ellis is the by far the exception uh, also in the in the Canucks game, the sort of de facto new fourth line uh, of Derek Grant, Cody McLeod, and uh, Harry Zolner, Zolnerchuk um, did not play well in that game. Uh, they came off that game against the Avalanche where people were praising them, and all of a sudden they came back to earth and they weren't very good. Not a surprise. Uh, none of those guys are ever going to be very good. I mean, <laughs> it, it's one of those things, yeah, goals are how you win games. And how you get goals, that's fantastic. If Grant... McLeod goes out there, scores a goal, great. Helps the team to win a game. But if they're, that's like a, you know, 15, 20 second sequence. And if they're bad for nine minutes and good for 20 seconds and they play nine minutes and 20 seconds a night, you know, you got lucky and that's great. And you take that and you run with it and you feel joy. But I mean, they're just, they're there to pick up penalty minutes and punch yeah. things and, and react on bench and have teeth missing. It just, it makes you uncomfortable when they're, when they're getting offensive starts and still playing in, in neutral zone starts and, and being actually relied on to like kind of jolt the team and generate some sort of offense or at least possession. That's, that doesn't make you feel good, especially with numbers like this. Cody McLeod, negative, negative eight uh, shot attempt uh, differential. Um, Derek Grant, negative 12. Zolnercheck, negative 10. And that's going up against fourth line guys. That's going up against Brendan Gauntz and Michael Caput. Caput? 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 Chapu, Chapu, maybe. Write Chapeau? us in and tell us what you think. How you think that name is pronounced? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but anyways, it's going against, going up against third and fourth line guys. So not they weren't going up against you know Louis Erickson. No, these are these are guys who are barely. Ho- they're not. I mean, they're they're in, in a perfect world. They're not NHL hockey players, and 
if a team, the thing that frustrates me about it, and I know I'm jumping around a little bit, so I'm going to get myself reoriented, dialed in. Uh, Jump around all you know. All you well, know. I just I want to make sure I'm speaking clearly. So the thing that bugs me is that going into the season, the Predators' fourth line had a lot of different elements to it. And this is even when you had Salamaki being yeah. healthy. I mean, there was some speed. There was tra- transition play. You had some big guys who could push people around, but also had some talent going forward. And a guy like Austin Watson, who just basically like, takes the play and is like, no, we're not going to have fun while I'm on the ice. <laughs> Where everyone's everyone's going to be quiet and behave. That's Austin Watson's game. Um, and so it, it was kind of a very modern. It's like a hall monitor? Kind yeah, of? yeah. You know, he's the crossing guard, you know. Stop, <laughs> stop, go. But everyone was was... You know, it was a much more active line, and you had the kind of not traditional third line that also had some young guys. You know, you had a lot of dynamic things going on. And after all the adversity with the injuries, what the team's been left with is a very traditional hockey fourth line. Yes. You know, the face punch, grinder, energy, plays the game the right way, even though the right way to me has always been scoring goals and not only the team score a bunch of goals, which is right. the opposite of what that line achieves. Um, it just it, it it's a complete change of philosophy, and now the team's scraping out these wins where a lot of times they're just rolling the dice and they're getting a little bit lucky or they're getting a little bit unfortunate. But it's not it's not a way you're going to win playoff games by scraping out these these one two goal games. That frankly, I mean, the Canucks have been playing pretty well, and the Predators were you know they they lost they they didn't play well enough and they lost in some of the other games the Predators were a little bit lucky as well and and the fourth line you're playing in 10 minutes a night almost that's a lot of time to put those guys on the ice yeah for sure um it it you know it, it says a lot when you when you think about that line the fourth line right now um I think there's there's no way that that line is the fourth line the rest of the year I mean like maybe a few more games but as soon as you know it I mean I, I don't think Salamaki is going to come back but as soon as some other guys come back, guys like Colin Wilson, um, I would think that that fourth line becomes more back to Watson, Sissons, and whoever it is, Yarncroke or someone else. Um, but anyway, maybe McLeod every now and then. Um, one, uh, The other Predator that played well in that game that we haven't mentioned yet would be Pecorine. Uh, Pecorine stopped 25 of 26 saves. The one goal he gave up to Henrik Sedin uh was a pretty unlucky goal i mean like you can't there's no way around it. i mean that, that was a very fluky kind of just off the uh just off the rebound no great play by sadine but but uh you don't you wouldn't you don't think that you'll give up too many goals like that uh and then from there you know the predators couldn't muster enough in the last eight minutes or so but uh, it, a couple of saves that really stood out to me for from rene that kind of indicate how he's playing differently now it, late in the first, uh, Nikita Triampkin had a shot from the point that got deflected at the very, um, kind of at the last minute. I don't even know if it went off a, off a off a Canuck or off a Pred. But in a typical save, that's a glove save from from Rene. He's ready for the glove. He was ready with the pads, and he went down. Uh, I feel like in the past, Rene doesn't do that enough. He, he relies on that glove. He likes that glove side. He tries to get himself in position to make those glove saves. He was ready with the pads, made the save. In the second, he stopped Erickson. If you remember this, it was kind of a semi-breakaway. Now, I'm not really sure what Louis Erickson was doing, but he tried to go five-hole, and Rene closed it up. Do you remember this? It was kind of like a little semi-breakaway, and he was wide open in front, and Rene, Rene stopped him. And the five-hole's been a really problematic part of Rene's game for a, for a while now. Uh, but he stopped it. And um, then, you know, late in the third, the 
Canucks had some chances to even get a second goal, and he stopped him. Um, do you think Rene's has he changed, or are we seeing just he's just getting a little bit more lucky, or what do you think? I think he's calmed down a little bit just from that whole Soros effect, and he's been getting a lot more rest. But over the course of the week, we've also seen some of his you know more average mistakes coming across. So I'm not sure if he's changed so much or if they're just playing him more like we've always thought that he should be played. Actually giving him rest. Exactly. Because... So important. Yeah, I mean, playing him 60, 70 games, or 70, 75 games a season, I mean, that's exhausting for anybody. Yeah. I think, I, I forget the exact number, but some, some, there was some good, really good research done uh, over at Broad Street Hockey um, where they researched um, goalies playing on the second half of a back-to-back or just general rest in particular, and, and just across the board. doesn't matter which goal you're talking about. Um... The, the percent difference in save percentage and, and just the, the overall production, the overall productivity of, of the goalie from one goal, I'm sorry, one day of rest, two days of rest, three days of rest. It's just, it's in aggregate, the data makes sense. And it makes sense logically. You know, if you're not as, as well rested, you're not going to perform as well. Rene is no different. Yeah. And, and if, if you've never had a chance to throw on some hockey pads, or even if you can, you can actually do this, if you want to do a little home exercise, you can go and look up on YouTube or whatever some standard like non-pad goalie t- drills or training programs for just either warm-ups or, or what have you and just try and follow them. Yeah. I mean, first of all, stretch and be super careful. You could hurt yourself doing this. There's a little warning in case anyone actually does this and gets mad at us. <laughs> be very careful. This is, this is like actual you know sports stuff. It's exhausting, and that's just like practice training and warm-up. I, I often think people don't pr- process how exhausting it is to play that position when you're on the ice the entire time. You're dialed in mentally the entire time. And those sequences are brutal uh, when they're actually defending their net. And that's just practicing. That's just in your house with well, no one else. Well, I, I was saying, and the, then the pushing forward into the, in the game sense. Right. I mean, it, it is an exhausting thing. So when you talk about rest, yeah. yeah. I mean, you cannot sell a day of rest short. I mean, soccer players go six days between games so they get enough rest. A goaltender, you know, like Pekka is going to play the next night and historically he'll play back to back. I mean, mm-hmm. that that's a good way to you know, increase injuries. You know, you're going to have mental fatigue. There's all sorts of things. So having Soros be able to step in and the team have confidence in him and him playing so well, Getting Pekka rest. I mean, if you have two guys who can play at equal levels where they're both, let's say they're both like 9-2 guys, and you just rotate them and swap them as you need. I mean, that was what like Ken Hitchcock dreamed of having right. with Ellie and Allen, right. except that Ellie and Allen had, had like, you know, there was they, they were like psychologically suffering, whereas I think Soros and Rene have a better relationship, and, yeah. and that sort of works. And and I think Rene, ultimately, as much as he says, I want to play every game, appreciates having some time to breathe and let his body recover so he can go out there and play even better. Right. And uh, so, you know, we talked a little bit, uh, I think, last week about the sort of the, the moment a few weeks ago where um, UC Soros gets the start against the Rangers on a Saturday night. And that was kind of a big moment for the Predators to actually say, hey, you know what? We're going to start our other guy because we think he's given us a better chance to win. I think it was a similar moment this past week when Soros starts the Thursday night game against the Flames, the first game of the back-to-back, as opposed to the second night against against Edmonton. Now, they said something about, well, Brene's history against the Oilers 
blah 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 whatever i think that was a, i think that was a statement too they knew that rene would get you know two days of rest as opposed to just one uh and that makes a difference um so i think that was a big moment as well i really feel like it's a 1a 1b situation right now i i don't see any way other way around it i mean or am i wrong there <laughs> I agree. Um, starting him, starting Sorrows for the Calgary game was the first time all season that someone other than Pekka started the first half of a back-to-back. I haven't oh, the gone, first time in several years, right? I haven't gone back and looked at previous seasons, but okay. I would not be surprised yeah. if that were the case. There's no way Carter Hutton started, like, you know, the day of the first game. Yeah, it was certainly unusual in the past to see Laviolette start Pekka for the, the game he assumed that the team could definitely win. Right. So sort of put all your chips in on the one you know you the, on the pot you think you can win more, mm-hmm. uh, and then play your backup for the more challenging. Because then okay, well then it's gonna this is, we're gonna, the only way we're gonna beat this better team is through through an entire team effort. Whereas this weaker team, there's a lot of things that could go in our favor. We we could come out on top. So let's go ahead and just put all our resources in into the 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 one you know you can pick up because it's both are worth two points. Right. Yeah. It. it, it like, like gambling, said, right, right, right. Yeah, and and there's been too much of that. Now, now that you have two good goalies, you don't have to, you have to do less gambling. Yeah, and, it, and it's not as if Calgary does not have some scary guys at forward. So sure. you, you're still going to need the goaltender starting there to be excellent because I mean, it, Johnny Gaudreau alone is is a massive, massive threat. Yeah, and and, and keeps, Monahan and mm-hmm. I, I know there's trying to I just blanked on some of the other guys. Uh, for a week. I mean, for leaks, you Maybe know, not. consistent. I mean, he's going to get shots and he's going to run the power play, but he's a little Troy Brower. Um, yeah. Speaking of which, so uh, the Calgary Flames Thursday night. Uh, let's go ahead and move to that. So I, I was actually unable to watch this one live. I was driving home from uh, Jackson, Tennessee. Uh, Mario was able was kind enough to pick up the uh, the game recap. Appreciate that. Oh. Uh, <laughs> so it was kind of a, a last minute thing that I didn't know was going to happen, and. So I was only able to really I was able to listen to it on the radio, which is actually probably preferred most of the time because Pete Weber and Chris Mason do just a fantastic oh, was, job. Was was Mason in, in yep. the uh, the booth for that yep. one? Nice. Yep, it was great. So that was enjoyable to do or to listen to as I was on the way home. Um, according to the stats, you know, looking at sort of the shot attempts differential, there uh, it was a pretty even contest. Um, but that obviously doesn't tell the whole story because the Preds really it was really you know. A 50-minute game and then a 10-minute game. It, it was a weird game because um, looking at it after the fact, looking at some of the stats and looking at like expected goal models, things like that, the Flames actually had a little bit of an edge through big chunks of the game. They just were getting stopped. You know, Saros was 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 gobbling up the pucks at every turn. He was so good. That um, game. I think I referred to him as. Oh yeah, I did refer to him as as somewhat like a bear eating salmon. <laughs> um, I mean, it just he, he would just see that flashing. Glorious salmon leap into the air. He would just grab it and be like, "Nom nom nom, it's mine now." And he was doing that the whole way, whole way through, basically shutting that down, letting the team really turn pre- around and get up the. That's a precious image that I'm picturing in my mind of of Soros as a bear eating salmon and saying "nom nom." I, I, I that's what I, I try to bring these things to you. <laughs> uh, and I, I really credit, and I know I'm super biased. No, I'm biased, but I really credit what got the Predators to be four zero on Soros. Absolutely, and. I also think what got them from four zero to four three was not really on Saros. Um, he was he was really put in some very difficult positions. M- maybe one of them, but yeah, definitely not all of them. Um, so the you know when going back to the how this became four nothing. Uh, the first goal was James Neal. Um, he returned. Was that his first game back? 
He he just came back recently. That wasn't his first game back, but it's his first goal back for sure, since it come back, coming back from injury for sure. Uh, scored on the rebound in front. Went five hole on uh, not Brian Elliott. Chad Johnson. Chad Johnson's actually not a bad goalie, by the way, and he's actually been better than Brian Elliott this year. In case anyone doesn't pay attention to the Calgary Flames, it's almost like it might have been something about Hitchcock's system. <laughs> I wonder. Hmm. Yeah, he's actually he's a career like nine seventeen guy, and he's started more games than Brian Elliott, and all of a sudden that free agent acquisition is not good or is it yeah um anyways so he scores james neal goes up one nothing uh the second goal was the Air, uh, ryan ellis breakaway where uh harry zolnerchuk kind of chipped the puck forward towards him and ryan ellis just makes a really simple easy shot i mean it, it, i will notice uh, one thing i noticed about that the flames seem to be kind of in like slow motion getting back like they didn't expect ellis to jump up they didn't expect Zolner checked to pass in the puck, and they just were like kind of coasting back. And uh, I don't think that the the Flames are always quite clear what they're supposed to be doing on defense. <laughs> Who was their coach? Um, what is his name? I'm gonna look that up. Keep going. Sorry. Oh, I could have told you a second ago. I was making jokes about how he looks like Jeremy Renner. <laughs> no, that's Oilers coach. What am I talking about? I'm gonna look it up right now. Tom McClellan does look like Jeremy Renner. He lo- he looks like a chubby Jeremy Renner. But I think the Preds got a couple of breakaways in that game, and they weren't going that fast. Like, Brian Ellis wasn't, you know, blowing yeah. past people. Yeah, that's a good point. Glenn G- G- Gullitson. Glenn Gullitson? Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, right. I, was thinking about, I was thinking of the Oilers. There he is. Um, he, looks like, uh, he looks like a guy. He looks like a hockey coach. Pretty typical hockey coach. Yeah, but I was surprised going back over, like, I looked at the possession stats and other things like that after the game. I was surprised at how close that they appeared because I felt that the Preds were in control for most of the game. I mean, they were giving the, uh, the Flames some chances, but they were pretty much in control of their own destiny up until the you know last five minutes or so when they lost their minds. Yeah, I, I, I continue my bias thing. I think, I think Soros, the way he plays net, is, is a, has a calming effect because he never looks frantic. He never really looks panicked. Um, he gets the puck and he either frees it or he distributes it. It's nice and calm. He's not trying to do anything ambitious with it for the most part. Uh, and it's just like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for for probably 55 minutes, he was just simply unbelievable. And like you said, the, the last three goals that he gave up were probably not all on him. Uh, back to, to the, how the Predators made it 4 nothing. Three nothing. The, the third goal was the Ellis slap shot where Victor Arverton leapt into the heavens in front of Chad Johnson and uh, Ellis scores. And then 4-0 was the Forsberg half breakaway. Again, Arvidsson makes another play that's just, I don't know who else on the Predators makes this play. He fights off a couple defenders, chips the puck forward to uh, to Forsberg, and, uh, I mean, got it right to him. Forsberg just skates in and makes a pretty easy, pretty easy goal. Um, unbelievable play. Arvidsson is just, how how is, how have we not... How the, the Predators have not been at, you know, could not have made this workout better than if if it wasn't for Victor Arvidsson making the plays that he's made. Yeah, he's got he, twenty seven points or something like that. He works so hard, but he's also really good. Yeah. So the Preds mo over the past years have been, you know, how hard they work, but they weren't very good. So when you bring those two things together, you get players like Victor Arvidsson. <laughs> and talented players working hard is a, is the secret to success in the NHL. Apparently, because I mean, you're right, he, he is extremely talented, and he's also like pretty strong for such a small guy. He's got this incredible sort of like way to he can hold off he, just like sort of like Forsberg does. Forsberg has a little bit more uh, you know hockey talent in him, but 
but he has this way of kind of holding off the puck or holding off the guy while he's holding onto the puck and and uh, p- making passes that are actually really really good. And we I know we've talked about his shooting improving. Um, his skating has always been good. It's just it's really amazing to watch. He's really creative with it too. The goal he scored against the St. Louis Blues, where he sort of chipped past the defenseman and then went across the crease, he put the puck through his legs in order to get it to protect it from the defenseman. And he said after the game that that's a better way to protect the puck because the defenseman can't get to can't it. Get to you it. Know? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure a lot of you know North American coached uh, players wouldn't have wouldn't have even thought of that. Especially the Sequoias that are playing defense for the Blues right now, who can't seem to find the puck unless it's, you know, seven, seven feet in front of them. They're just so big and tall and slow. Anyway. <laughs> you got you to gotta be, be big and tough to survive St. Louis. <laughs> That's true. So it was 4 nothing, and uh, this is actually at this point I got home, so I stopped listening to the radio, and as soon as I stopped listening to the radio, the Flames started scoring. Uh, I thought about running back into my car, but I didn't. Um, for Stieg, Froelich, and Monahan, all scores in like a three-minute span, and things got really rough. Now, if this had if this had happened, if the Predators had blown a four-nothing lead and either made it to overtime and lost, or or even lost in regulation, that would have been a pretty devastating loss. No, I mean it, it would have been having just lost to Vancouver and then losing that kind of a game. That would have been pretty bad, but it didn't. So yeah, and and. You know, the the first power play goal, which I think was the Brower one, was, I mean, whatever. It's a power play goal. It, you know, it broke the shutout. Bummer. It was, it, it with the uh, Frolic one is when things started going sour. I mean, that, and that was, that was Predators, the fourth line. Right. They were out there looking so lost. Like, there were times when there was just, there was just a Calgary Flame standing in front of Sorrows, and the nearest Predator was, like, on the sideboards making sure the glass was secure. I, I, they were just chasing the flames around the ice. They weren't setting up. There was no or, no organization. And then Froelich just fires away and has like all the time in the world to get a perfect shot. And there's such chaos that you know Saros is is completely confused because there's nothing but but jerseys flying in front of him as <laughs> as he, he watches like Zolnerchuk and everyone chase the Calgary Flames around. I mean, also I don't know why you'd want those guys out there against like Sean Monahan against like Froelich and Monahan yeah. things like that. Um, it was pretty, pretty broke because it was for Leak Backland and Dougie Hamilton. I mean, those are like, those are some good puck distributors. Mm-hmm. Dougie Hamilton, especially he's very, he's very, very good. Saros finished with 32 of 35 saves, which is still like a nine fourteen save percentage. So even given all that, he still didn't have a terrible game. Um, and we tweeted out sometime late last week that this is basically, it's hard to really gauge the numbers because you know, some of the stats are hard to, to, to look at this. This Soros has basically had the best first ten games of any NHL player, which is remarkable. It's remarkable, but the thing that worries me is there's only a couple guys in that list who are really worth talking about yeah. after that first two, after like first ten games. Braden Holtby and uh, maybe uh, Martin Jones, perhaps. I think that might have been another one. But the others on the list were like, uh, who was it? Vesa Toskala was one. Yeah, guys who like everyone got really hyped about, and then just just happened to have a string of great games. Yeah. Uh, so as excited as I am, and as much as I'm going to continue to just be on the hype train with Saros because I like it, I enjoy doing it, reality could, you know, we don't know what reality is yet. Right. Is is the truth. Yeah, but I mean, you know, Saros can blaze his own path and be uh, be the best goalie in the NHL if he wants to. Best goalie in history, right? Yep, best there one we go. ever. Look out, Patrick Waugh. 
I think you mean Dominic Kashuk. I think you mean Patrick Waugh. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. I'm not getting in on this one. <laughs> I mean, I know who I agree with. I think we're wrong. I think we're all wrong. I think it's Marty Brodeur. Because you have to play 30 years in order to get the number of wins he played <laughs> or he that he got. Volume over quantity or quality. Uh, the next night, the Predators play at Oil at Edmonton. Uh, so they move from one part of Alberta to another part of Alberta. That is that is that an upgrade going from uh, Calgary to Edmonton? Edmonton? Edmontonians would tell you that it is. What would? What but would, it's warmer in Calgary, so you know, make your own choices there. I mean, let's be honest. No matter what decision you make and and what answer you get, you're still in Alberta. Yeah, that's true. Which is not British Columbia. So yeah, and and it's right next to it too. So it's like it's almost a tease. Um, but they go to they go to Edmonton. They play the Oilers. This is a really tough matchup. Luckily, they get PK Subban back for this, um, which is great because they're going up against one of the best players in the league, Connor McDavid. But let's run this down. Here are Connor McDavid's numbers from this game. I know it's just one game, and it's really tough to to gauge this. You know, looking at this, but this has to be one of Connor McDavid's worst games of the year. One assist in 25 minutes, and his assist was just a secondary assist, by the way, on the Lucic goal. So he he was obviously playing well, but. Uh, eight shot attempts for 23 shot attempts allowed while he was out there. He was the worst possession player on the night. That's incredible. Yeah. So in 25 minutes. Well, when, when they're, when you're, you keep reducing the threats by trading only players for worse players, uh, eventually it's going to be really easy to mark those guys and shut them down. Though I do have to say, you said he played 25 minutes. Uh Todd McClellan has had a big thing this year about playing uh, Connor McDavid way too much. He's only, what, 20 years old? He should not be playing 25 minutes a night. No way. No, that's defenseman minutes, and that's that's definitely that's going to come back to bite him. I'd be interested in looking at what what were Crosby's minutes in his first few years. Probably not any close to that. Maybe like 18. Um, Anyway, so that says a lot about the way that the Predators... Now, I don't know if it was one particular player that really made... You know, made it hard for him. I would imagine that Ekholm and Subban were probably tough for him. I'll have to look at the matchups individually, but but overall, that's pretty good when you do that. Now, having said all that, they still barely won <laughs> this game. So the the Oilers are not a bad team. Probably a playoff team at this point, and uh, maybe even a team depending on where the playoffs uh, where the uh, playoff situation lands. The Predators could end up facing this this uh, Edmonton team in the playoffs. Yeah. If I so, I want to take a look real quick. Um, and I'll be honest. Connor McDavid struggled against a lot of guys, so he spent most of his minutes um, going up against Matt Irwin and Ryan Ellis okay. on defense. And of course, Matt Irwin being sort of like this unexpected revelation of the season and being a quality defenseman who's exceeding expectations. We, we thought, oh, hey, this will be a solid, like lower, right. lower pairing guy. And now he's stepped up. He's top four minutes. Right he's now. been great. And yeah, and, and primarily on the on the forwards, um, you know, he was going up against. Uh, a lot against the Arvidsson, Johansson, Forsberg line, which he was getting, he was not doing well against, uh, and then to to a lesser extent, the time he spent uh, going up against uh, even the Fisher, Smith, Watson line, uh, oh. he was having, he was performing much substantially better against that them. Um, That's so weird. You would uh, expect the opposite. I would they do, he would that McDavid performed so well against Fisher, Smith, and Watson. I mean, those aren't exactly. Yeah, I mean, Smith is the really only possession driver on that line, and and he's in an f- unfamiliar role playing just with because, guys like Watson. I, I guess what I mean is just because Fisher's more of a two way player. Now, it, yeah, he doesn't hold a candle to McDavid's speed or well, talent, but, but but what's what's the best way to to mess up someone's Corsi stats is to is to force them in their own zone. So, two way players are defensive. You know, they, yeah. they, 
we say two-way player. For a lot of times, a two-way player just is a fancy way of saying they're a forward who plays a ton of defense. Right, right. Which means they're not have, they don't have the puck. Uh, so I think it makes sense, especially when you look mm-hmm. at the talent level of Arvidsson, Johansson, Forsberg. I mean, yeah. those guys, I mean, if, if, if you wanted to, that's a power play unit with, with Irwin and Ellis. That's, that you can run that as a power play unit. You can run as a PK. You can run that five-on-five. Five. I mean, that is... That is awesome. Really That's dynamic. That's fantastic. So you can see, and then, you know, he spent some time against some other guys, and he shredded, you know, the, the scant moments he spent with uh, the the fourth line. He obviously did really well. But, <sighs> yeah, he just was struggling against um, the Predators, kind of their, their top guys of the night around uh, the Ellis Irwin and then the, uh, the Hansen, Joe Hansen line. Um, so the uh, the Predators get a goal. first. The first goal is uh, was Victor Arvidsson. So this is, uh, you know, we just talked about the incredible play he made to get Forsberg the puck in the Calgary game. He did the exact same thing in the uh, in this game. He uh, held off three three Oilers, somehow held onto the puck, cycled it around to Johansson. Johansson kind of uh, got it over to Forsberg, whose shot was blocked, and it came right to Arvey, and he deflects it kind of into the upper part of the net. I mean, so we, we, I don't want to keep going on and on about it, but, but uh, really it doesn't feel like anyone... <laughs> will care if we do because Victor Arvison is so much fun to watch and producing in such at such crazy rates that we never saw coming. So uh, Arvidsson gets the goal uh one nothing. Well, 40 seconds later, old Pecorine does what uh-huh. he does and uh makes a really bad play to keep the puck in the zone and uh turns it over. And I I was when I was watching that I saw him sort of go for a little bit of a move I'm like, "Oh, he's he's going to try to do something fancy." Right. And I looked on, at the ice, and I saw two Predators players nowhere near the passing lanes, and I saw, I think, three or four Oilers bearing down on Pekka. And I'm just sitting there like, the only safe play for Pekka right now is to shovel the puck behind him and try to get it to go around the net um, to his right side. So go to, the, to kind of the, the lower pressure side. Like, that is the only safe move to make where he is. Instead, he just passes through the legs of an Oiler into a whole pack of Oilers. Yeah. And then before he gets reset, the goal is going between his five hole. Yeah, somebody, I don't know who it was on Twitter, made a point. Away broadcasters always talk about how great he is at playing the puck, which could not be further from the truth. It's it's so weird that that happens. <laughs> yeah, he likes to play the puck, but he definitely should yes. not. Yes, he loves playing the puck, but every time he does it, everyone I know who's, who, who watches Predators games goes, oh God, yeah. what's going to happen? I'm surprised that the Oilers didn't just score into an empty net. And this has been happening for years. I mean, it hasn't, it's not, at what point do you just, does the coaching staff have to say, you are not allowed to go two feet outside the goal crease. If the puck goes in the corner, just leave it there. And maybe one of our defenders who are better at playing the puck will go get it. I mean, can you do something like that? Can you put a, a sort of a, a gag order and say, you can't go touch the puck anymore? You do like they used to do and like tie them to their goal posts. Yeah. Right? I, I think with, with Pekka, uh, and, and I mentioned this, I had a kind of a side conversation on Twitter with somebody. Uh, I, I think he's got a lot of freedom to do what he wants. He's sort of like the elder statesman in the team at this point. I mean, is, is there any Predator who's been a, on the team longer than, than Rini at this, at, at this point, being a full-time Predator? I don't think so. I think he kind of does what he wants. Like, you go up and say, you know, even the, the coach, like, he probably has been there longer than Vanderklok because Vanderklok was a disciple of of corn and so maybe yeah maybe peck even predates him and and you know pekka does what pekka wants if pekka wants to play the puck he's gonna play the puck and you can get mad at him for it but he's probably gonna 
you know, he's going to feel shame for a little bit. He's going to come out and do it again. Yeah. Because that's what he wants to do. This yeah. is the way it is. I was just going in my head. I, 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 he has to be the oldest, the, the most veteran player. Yeah, yeah, he's not the oldest guy in the team, but by, he certainly has been around for the longest time. And I, I think, think he's the most veteran player by several years. I mean, I, th- I think the next closest would be Yossi. I mean, you've got... Maybe you've got guys like... went. Yeah, yeah you've got like Yossi and Smith and... I mean, Wilson. Yeah. Wilson's been chugging around the Predators for a while yeah. um, with the big club. So uh, the Matt Hendricks gets uh, gets the tying the game tying goal when it just kind of squeaked through, uh, and then uh, a little bit later though Ryan Ellis gets uh, gets the Predators back on top two to one scores really a kind of a weird floating sh- kind of shot really he hard lobbed to, it he lobbed it yeah hard to tell exactly what happened otherwise other than just he didn't shoot it how normal shots are made I mean it just kind of was a different kind of shot yeah he lobbed it it was wobbling over the place it was hard to track I mean it. And there were two Oilers in between him and Kim. Did, did, did he do it on purpose? Uh, maybe. It looked like he was trying to do a kind of a like a, do something to get the puck deep. If we want to give him credit for that, if he yeah. can if he can figure out how to do that consistently, he'll have invented a new way to score goals. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, then shortly after that, the uh, actually was it shortly after that? Well, well, are you talking about the next goal? Or are you talking I'm about talking about the what, cheap shot? The cheap shot. Which okay. cheap shot? The the one on Subban by Hendricks. Yeah, let's, okay, we'll start there. Yeah, so Matt Hendricks comes around, and uh, d- there's no way around it. Lays a cheap shot onto P.K. Subban, gets an elbowing call. Then all kinds of stuff happens. There's fights. Austin Watson is mixing it up with Milan Lucic. Um, Anthony Batetto is mixing it up with all of them. Um, all kinds of things happen. Pa- Patrick Maroon is involved, of course. Um, there Was there... Does anyone have any idea why the NHL player, Department of Player Safety is not involved in that particular play? I think, um, I, I think they, they decided that there was no intent, that it was an accident entirely. Uh, I mean, certainly you had Hendricks, who was coming around very tight, was trying to get around Subban, um, trying to get his, you know, his very tight space, trying to get his stick vertical so he wasn't catching on the boards, get out of the way. His elbow was high, he wasn't paying attention, was careless. Uh, I think there probably should have been more to that against Hendricks because it was very, very careless on his part. Um, but I, I, I do think that the angel looked at and said, hey, he's trying to skate around him. It's a hockey play. It was unfortunate, but there was really no intent um, to target the head. Right. Um, Austin Watson, by the way, uh, you know, you like what he's done, but he did take a terrible penalty late in the game with the retaliation on Lucic, which is exactly what Lucic was trying to do. Ha- yeah. Lucic has not been very effective this season, and it's precisely because no one does what Watson did. Yeah. So he hasn't been able to get anybody to fight him. Right. And here the Predators go fighting him, boarding him, whatever, which allows him to score a power play goal. What Watson did was just inexcusable. Mm -hmm. I mean, when when Watson started, because he was not anywhere near Lucic, when he started, he knew he was going to take a penalty. He, I mean, if if he didn't think about that, then he he need you know obviously you know the coach had a chat with him about it and because La- I think Lavilla said oh yeah we had a talk great um, because he skated yeah, I w- across I find, the ice I want to find that quote I think uh, Martel tweeted that yeah, he, he's just, I'm gonna find it, that Watson skates across the ice and just shoves Lucy down I mean two minutes easily I and mean, they could have probably called something more because he shoved him right into the boards and Lucic you know was was shoved pretty hard I mean, so two minutes was probably the minimum you were going to expect from that your team it's a two one game. Yeah, I mean, if you're that angry, you know, you're Austin Watson. You know, the team's not going to live and die on your on your decisions. Well, 
it did. Mm-hmm. But if you're if if you're just playing hockey, just go go to the dressing room and punch a Gatorade jug or something. I mean, get out of your system. Don't send a message by putting your team at a disadvantage to finish the game. Here was the quote from Peter Laviolette. Uh, this is um, Adam Vingen tweeted, uh, tweeted this quote out from uh, after the game. Uh, this is him talking about the hit or sorry the retaliation that Austin Watson had on Milan Lucic. He says. Austin knows he shouldn't do that. I had a conversation with him on the bench. He had played so well for us. Even tonight, he had such a strong game. I just want him to learn from it, which I told him. It's not about what's happened at that point. It's about what you're going to do the rest of the game and how you're going to finish the game. He's been strong for us and accountable for us. He'll learn. I, it's very so, responsible. I mean, it, like I, when I read that, I felt like, you know what? Lavulette's probably right. Yeah. You know, I think he, he's probably right. All right. It still doesn't mean I, I wouldn't want to have grabbed the nearest clipboard and smacked him over the head one time. It, it'll be interesting to see how he plays tonight against uh, Minnesota, who doesn't mind trying to bait you into, foul, into penalties, too. So um, so that was not good. And, and obviously, uh, naturally, Milan Lucic is the one that ties the game up uh, late in the game. And that's when things just... It looked so bad for the Predators for the end of regulation and all throughout that overtime that you really did not see how they were going to come out of this with a win. Um, so in the overtime, just to give you an example, the Oilers got eight shots in the overtime. That's that's pretty amazing for five minutes of overtime, and the Predators got two. One of which was off the post. So does that count as a shot? No. no. Yeah. So, so I guess... Two, so three. Oh, I of. thought they only had one recorded. Did that was that up? Was that updated later? So I thought they ended with one. I saw two, or I, that's what the game stat said. Okay, yeah. Uh, so Rene Pacarine was really the reason. You know, outside of the, the the dumb play to lead to the game tying goal in the first or the first goal, he was the he was the reason that the Preds even had a chance at two points. I mean, he really stood strong there in the overtime, and then uh, in the shootout. This was a pretty big topic on the on uh, on the Twitter after this game. The Oilers go with Mark Letestu, who is a very good shootout shooter, and Patrick Maroon. So the the trick is if your first two guys don't get goals, your third guy's not going to get a chance. I would imagine that was was McDavid probably the third guy, or probably not. Um, Drysaddle. Letestu's been great in the shootout. Maroon had a great move. I think Eberle's been very, very snake-bitten, and McDavid doesn't even like going in the shootout. Apparently, he says he's not good at it. A good five-on-five hockey player is not always a good shootout specialist. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there are guys who, in soccer, can do anything with the ball, just incredible tricks. But if you put them on a field against pros, even though these guys have the best ball skills in the world, yeah. they just get shredded. I mean, it's, it's a different skill set, and so maybe McDavid just says, you know what? I'm a hockey player. I'm not, you know, uh, uh, not a shootout specialist. Still, better that. send someone else in. You, you have to think he's. I, I would, I would want to put him out there out over Patrick Maroon. But well, look at the Predators started with. Yeah, I mean yeah. the Predators put out Ryan Ellis, who is fantastic in shootouts because mm-hmm. he just plays those mental games with the goal with the opposing goaltender right. and wins more often than not. Yeah, yeah. The shootout is a combination of that mental, the mental game, the you know being able to fake out the goalie. And you know physical skill, which obviously Ryan Ellis has. Right, uh, I would say that Ryan Ellis is probably the most mentally stable predator at this point. After Carter, season. yeah, with, with Carter Hutton being gone, definitely. <laughs> so is he the new, uh, like, sort of therapy? He, he's Peck's new therapist. Uh, I think I think Soros is sort of like a therapy dog for oh, Rene. Oh, okay. Um, so now he's moving out. Maybe Rene's going to like destabilize again. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely having the emptiness syndrome. Hmm. <laughs> 
So Ryan Ellis gets the first goal, and then James Neal gets the second goal. They, they were very simple goals. There wasn't a lot of deking. There wasn't a lot of just, just skate in fast, pick a corner, and shoot. And that's what they did, and it worked. So Predators come away with a, a 3-2 to two shootout, um, shootout victory over the Oilers, and as we talked about, finished 2-1-0 and on the week. So... I think what we'll do is we'll go ahead and take a break. Uh, after the break, we're going to talk about the power play. We're going to talk about expansion drafts. We're going to take some Twitter questions, and then uh, we'll be uh, we'll be out of here. So um, sit tight. We'll be right back. You'll listen to the uh, podcast. These days, you need to partner current and latest website design standards, one that also provides quality support services like hosting, email, e-commerce, CMS, and more. And you need a partner experienced in online branding and marketing, like social media, search engine marketing, rich media, and email marketing. You need a partner that knows how to market your company in today's age of advertising. You need LionZone. Their professional staff and partners have the know-how, creativity, and experience to help you reach your marketing goals. Contact them today for a free consultation at 615-353-0402. That number again is 615-353-0402, or you can reach them on their website at www.lionzone.com. Lionzone, Nashville's leading internet marketing agency since 1999. Welcome back to the Predcast. Um, we are sitting here with myself, Alex, Link, and Maria, and we're talking about the Predators as we normally do. Um, let's talk about the power play. Um, just be, uh, We don't have to spend a ton of time on this, but um, the power play has definitely been pretty bad uh, th- this year outside of the first, like, what, 10 games when that's all that's the, basically the only way the Predators were scoring was via the power play. Um, since then, the, the Predators are 27 of 153, um, which is 17.6%, which puts them 16th in the league. Now, that doesn't sound terrible, but their actual shot numbers are pretty bad. So they're only getting 91 shot attempts per 60 minutes on the power play, which is 22nd in the league. So they're they're a b- way below average team, which with guys like Forsberg and, and Yossi and Johansson and even Mike Fisher, who's a good power play guy, uh, that's not good. Uh, they are they are definitely not getting the shots at the right time. Here's another indicator: they are only getting seventeen, roughly seventeen high danger shot attempts per sixty uh, while on the power play, which is twenty fourth in the league. So not only are they not getting a lot of shots off, most of the shots they're getting off are not all that dangerous. So for the most part, the pre- the the power play really just doesn't look very good. What are you guys seeing? Anything that 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 kind of comes across as why the power play is not very good or seeing anything that could be changed or what's, what's happening here. It's the same thing. It's kind of always been. Um, and, and just the strategy they they approach it with, they have that, they just pass on their perimeter back and forth and trying to pull players out of position, trying to tighten in the umbrella. And they seem to pass so much and they don't do it quickly enough 
where you know that that's how you get people opposition. You pass very quickly and disorient the defenders. But you know, you you think okay, well, you tighten in, they have less move room to to move, and you can still pass. But the thing they get to at that point is that no one wants to take a shot then yeah. because there's so much traffic because they've collapsed in front of their goaltender. And so there's no room to shoot the puck. And everyone just like, oh, no, you shoot it, you shoot it, you shoot it, you shoot it. And what, what broke that before in the past is that Shea Weber would just take the puck and slam it as hard as he could. Yeah. And if it missed the net, then everyone would be scrambling to try to recover it. And people would there'd be limbs scattered across the ice. It was carnage. Um what happens this year is that eventually someone just kind of flicks the puck vaguely towards the net and it either gets cleared or you, you get the whole cycle over again. It's just the same thing. They just don't have a way like they did in the past to break free with a just mad Shea Weber slap shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just the same thing every night. The slow pass from the wing to the point, from the point to the wing and back and forth. The idea, like Linka said, was that you're supposed to do a lot of passing to create a lot of motion and to get movement and open up seams, but they're passing so slowly. And the only people who are willing to, you know, shoot the puck or whoever's on the point. And, you know, that isn't, isn't going to get through all the time, especially when everybody's been able to collapse in front of the net. So they're just not getting anything. Yeah, it, it's the passing play at this point, not the power play. There, there's just there's so much distribution and so little scoring that's going on. And when you have guys like Johansson, who wants to pass, Ribeiro, who wants to pass, um, Forsberg is generally, he's a little bit more of a shooter, but but he, he is more want to pass than, than most most of the time. Roman Yossi is not as likely to just hammer away at the blue line. They've been missing Subban recently. You know, he's actually been a pretty pretty good player on the power play. The only only played about a minute on there was Kevin Fiala, who is in Milwaukee right now. Who? I don't remember him. <laughs> I he, knew he was just bad at hockey, and he then, was, so he sent him down to Milwaukee. He's a player that, uh, in his minutes that he played, was actually pretty good. Yeah, because he's willing to shoot. Yeah. Like Passing in itself is not the problem. The problem is their passing is bad, and they're making really bad decisions about when they do it. Yeah. So they just need to you know, start shooting more. Right. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of that. Uh, one thing I've noticed as well is uh, the, the entries tend to be a little bit tough. The, the, the cycling is, is just never usually there. I, I see too much. Yeah. When they, when they dump it in, it, it usually just goes straight to the goalie, and then they control it, and then they, they clear it. Yeah, and, and one thing, and this is... Uh, this is not just a Predators specific problem, in that uh, now that the teams are really focusing on zone entries more and more and more. Some are having the issue of of static forwards, so they they're cycling trying to find the right avenue through, and what you end up with is two forwards or are two forwards. You end up with is I don't know. I don't think anyone's going to really get mad at me. I think I got um, lost in the language, but I think yeah, it's, it's, it's probably a, good. There's, you get there's you know you have two forwards staying on the blue on the blue line. Waiting, they just want. They're ready to go in. They want to go in, but they're sitting there waiting for a defenseman or the third forward to actually skate the puck forward into the zone, and then they're having to start from dead stops. A really, really good zone entry is that you have everyone moving going into the zone, so that the other team is just having to react to everything. Opposed to, well, yeah, we can cover these guys. So we can basically just set up a wall so that you're in fact using two of the other team's forwards as a wall to prevent zone entries because all of a sudden you've got two extra bodies who are just taking up space on the ice right. that you can't skate through. Uh, and, and you see that for the Predators in the power play, which is where they should be able to get zone entry because they've got the man advantage. Mm-hmm. 
but you don't see that. Yeah, and a lot of people blame it on the, the the sort of drop pass. Look, the drop pass is something that a lot of teams do. The Penguins do that. The Capitals do that. The Blackhawks do that. They just do it better. I mean, they just they just have more success doing it. And and so, like you're talking about, I mean, they, they need to get a, they need to be better at zone entries. But it's not necessarily the way they're doing it. They just need to execute better. Yeah, and the sort of alternative zone issue when the other team is stacking the blue line they, like that is to dump it in, but then you have to have someone to forecheck to go yeah. get the puck back. And when you only have, say, Victor Arvidsson who's willing to actually put in that physical effort, obviously that's going to fail and the puck's going to get cleared again. Yeah, other forwards again, standing still on the blue line. Exactly. If, if Forsberg is dumping the puck in and the the forward on the other on the other side of the boards is Mike Ribeiro, it's going to be... It's you're not going to get a clean entry. Uh, yeah. Who was... I'm trying to think of who last week Mike Ribeiro... Oh, Yeah. It was against the Oilers. There was an icing. It was Ribeiro racing McDavid, and Ribeiro <laughs> had his big lead to start with. And like people were upset that that it was waved off because McDavid made them. Like it's Ribeiro versus McDavid. There is no way. I mean that that's that's like a that is a a pretty unfair advantage in terms of most hockey I mean, things. That's just the the, the 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 slowest skate in the Predators versus one of the best skaters in the entire NHL. Yeah. I mean it's. Not fair, and it was always going to happen. So, it, you know, you put that on the power play, and all of a sudden, you got Mr. Stand, stand Around Past the Puck, who's not going to do anything for 20 minutes. <laughs> Mr. Stand Around Past the Puck. And look, I, I hate the people at the Predators games that just shout shoot all the time, but but that's the problem. I mean, there's not a lot of shooting going on, and, and like Mario said, it's not necessarily that they're not shooting, it's that they're not passing well, and they're not getting in good positions. And you know what? You know what? That's interesting, is you know what's run a lot like the Predators power play? They were three and three overtime. Very similar style. Yeah. Yes. And neither works at all. <laughs> and it's been the pro- it's been a problem for over a season. Yeah. Ah. It's almost like there's is there one person in charge of the power play? <sighs> Typically, but yeah. I, ultimately, you, no matter what, there's always two people in charge of the power I mean, play because there's always the assistant coach in charge of the power play and the coach who's in charge of the assistant coach. I, I mean, isn't it? I, I thought it was Kevin McCarthy that, did, that was in charge of special teams. I think the power plays are run by. The other assistant coach. His the, name Phil is Housley? Phil, Phil Housley, Housley? yes. That's, yeah. That's who it is. The, yeah, the guy right. who's been in charge of the you're special right. teams for several seasons and the power and the special teams have been pretty mediocre for several seasons. Yes. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It is, it is Housley. I just I wonder, there. I still wonder if maybe Phil Housley is just not a fantastic coach <laughs> at, at the NHL level. He's yeah. a hero, though. And he's I mean, a Hall of Wall, Famer. Wall was a great junior coach. Oh, God. He was not a great NHL coach, yeah. but junior hockey's very different. So was um, he a great coach, or did he just have really great players like I don't know McKinnon or Radulov? He had a really great PDO, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, so the power play is not good. The penalty kill has been better, so that's that's good. Um, but you know well, when you've got players on the penalty kill like like Arvidsson or Forsberg or Yarncroak, uh, those guys are you know and, and those the way those guys play doesn't change. What, what, what's one of the one of the key things about the power play or about the penalty kill? Is that you? When you're on the penalty kill, you don't want people to be taking a lot of shots. So I mean, problem solved. Yeah. You know, you just play. You know, if the Predators could could play the same power play system on the penalty kill and just yeah. not take any shots, I mean, yeah. they just cycle the puck forever and be happy. So I mean, it's not surprising that one works really well than the other when they're both centered around no one taking shots. <laughs> right. So, uh, anyways, the the power play is, is a frustrate is a frustrating thing. But here's the silver lining. I think we've talked about this. Um, Power plays, special teams, penalty kills, all that stuff basically takes up about 20% of the game. 80% of the game is played 5v5 or even strength. So you can have a bad power play, or at least just not a good one, 
and still be okay. So the Predators are not doomed because of special teams. That's that's really not a fair way to, to assess things. They need it to be better, that's for sure. Um, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about expansion draft. And the reason I wanted to talk about this is because the, the expansion draft sort of uh, protection assignments have changed, I think, more than I think most of us were expecting. And here's what I mean by that. In the summer, over the summer, it was it was pretty set in stone kind of kind of thing. It, everyone was pretty much thinking that the Predators would go with the eight skater option, Subban, Yossi, Ellis, and Ekholm on defense, and then Johansson, Forsberg, Neal, and Smith as the forwards. Well, then things changed a bit um, over the last couple months or so. People started really questioning Craig Smith. Victor Arvidsson plays out of his mind. And there was a little bit of, you know, maybe Ekholm, do we necessarily need him? Ellis is better. Could they go the seven forward, three defensemen? I think that, Link, I know that you were one of the first ones to really kind of talk about this. I know at least on our show. Um, and so people are thinking more Subban, Yossi, and Ellis, and then the seven forwards, you protect, as well as the other big three, you protect Arvidsson, Yarncroke, and Smith and Wilson. Now, I'm thinking, you guys can call me I'm crazy, I'm thinking that we're back to the eight skaters. I'm thinking we're back to Subban, Yossi, Ellis, and Ekholm, and it's Joey, Forsberg, Neil, and Arvidsson. Am I crazy? I mean, that's so. When I did this exercise, I kind of pulled pulled up one of those uh, expansion draft tracker things that you can use, and that's actually the very first thing that I did. The one that I just the, the one you just described because I just impulse kind of went through, uh, and then I realized that there's there's kind of a fundamental question, and that is, you know, because you're really you're giving up two players. To protect an extra defenseman. That's a really key part um, of this. Because you, normally you can protect, I think, what is it, eight, or you can protect like 11, 10 forwards? I think it's yeah, 10, ten forwards. Ten, so, 10 players, yeah. Yeah, so you can protect eight forwards or ten or, or eight players or, or seven forwards or three defensemen. Yeah. Um, so there's a, there's a big difference because you're gaining two extra forwards you have to protect. And so I think y- you're saying, okay, well, is Ekholm worth, say, Yarncroke plus another forward right and if you look and you're thinking okay well who, who else do you protect for that and i think you've the, the list i've got is wilson uh oberg smith mm-hmm. as being that other person and so can you make a package of uh you know yarn croak and then one of those guys i think you need it's actually two of those guys because it's seven forwards so it's yarn croak and then one of two of wilson oberg smith is worth just Eckholm. And that's I, w- with the other four forwards being the, Yeah, because yeah. it's seven and three at that point. Yeah. And I think that's a, I mean, that's a tough question at that point. I mean, I think Wilson is a tricky one because he's so inconsistent season to season. Smith has is, is been off for a while. He could have a really great second half of the year still. I mean, there's still plenty of games for him to score goals, but he's definitely having an off season. Uh, but, you know, we, he, he's pretty consistently a 20-goal or better scorer, which is a great asset to have in the NHL and something you need the depth scoring in. He's also 27, so you know you, you expect sure. him. He's you know is he gonna when's he gonna start hitting that decline? Uh, I, I think it gets very very tough because you have to say how much is Ekholm worth versus what the Predators have in the system. And if you look at the Predators system and say the best prospect available is uh, Alex Carrier, mm-hmm. he had one good game. He had one really bad game. In his in his two game kind of appearance, and that's not a lot. That, that's nothing to judge off of. But do you have enough 
where you can let a guy like Ekholm go when you're going to really risk losing one of those forwards. Yeah. I'm just all over the place. Yeah, no, I'm still on the protect four defenseman train. I've never moved from that. I have decided to protect Arvidsson instead of Smith. And I know Smith has been more consistent. He is having an offseason. Maybe he'll bounce right back next season. But just how what Arvidsson has shown us this season, like I can't not protect well, him. And, and I think also, I mean, how old Ar- Arvidsson is. So much younger. Is a lot younger. He's got a lot. He's got more years ahead of him. You're much better off holding on to him, especially when, you know, if, if Smith continues to have a down year, he's yeah. not really the player you're risking. Uh, I mean, if you go with kind of what we've, been saying around the Forsberg, Neal, Johansson, Arvidsson, Subban, Ellis, Ekholm, Yossi, and the obvious pickup to a Predators fan or a Predator, anyone who follows the Predators is going to be, you, you pick up a guy like Yarn Croak, mm-hmm. um, who can play up and down your lineup and do a lot of different things for you. Uh, or even, hey, you may even say, hey, so maybe we'll just pick up Matt Irwin. He's was consistent and cheap. Right. I mean, there's some cheap, interesting options. Uh, so you may have to worry about all those guys. Uh, it's, and it's interesting that they signed everyone to that extension because now that, that probably makes it a little bit more enticing. I doubt if 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 I'm looking at the if I'm Vegas looking at the Predators roster, I, I don't know that I pick Irwin over someone like Colin Wilson. But uh, who knows? Maybe they will. To me, I, I'm I'm not as ambiguous as I was. I mean, a month ago, maybe even maybe even a few just a few weeks ago, I was still hesitant to really put Arvidsson in that in that lineup. I'm I'm sold. I, I I saw what happened when the team did not have him for those couple games. I see what he does every single night, and I see that that, that his style of game is so just it's so marketable too. I mean, I think just the fans love love that guy. Mm. Craig Smith is a little bit less accessible in that way. Now, people like Craig Smith. I'm not saying they don't. But he has beautiful hair. <laughs> he does. But yeah, well, also, you you know you know that Vegas is going to pick up Craig Smith the expansion draft. You know it's guaranteed 100. percent You know why? Host the radio show. You got to find a way to get him out of town. Say that again. Craig Smith hosts the radio show. That means he's go- he's gone. Oh, okay. So he's going to get picked by Vegas if he's not protected. Oh. That's a given. But right? Didn't Colin Wilson host it last year? Yeah, but Colin Wilson again, enigmatic. Mm. He's our he's our he's our non-American Canadian superhero, <laughs> who may or may not be great at hockey. No one can tell. <laughs> He may actually not be on the team. Actually, he's he's injured right now. So <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I can make no proclamations for Colin Wilson because he is like I mean this is this is this is a guy who 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 in answer your question um, if he ever was going to get tattoos said oh, do you put bumper stickers on a Ferrari and everyone's like ah he's so clever and I'm like have you guys looked at Lionel Messi dude's covered in tattoos yeah. and one of the be- like the best soccer player to ever exist. <laughs> So it's I not mean, like he's come up with that line. I've heard that line I, a bunch I, of times. No, I know he hasn't, but it's just such like a like a thoughtless thing to say versus and I don't, other star athletes. And you know who would never say anything close to that? Victor Arvidsson. <laughs> That's like yeah. the anti-Arvidsson kind of sentiment. There, I mean, the, the the really the radio the the Predators radio show that Wednesday night radio show is really sort of like the death pool of of the NHL. Like if you if the, whoever goes in there is a name. Who I mean, they could be gone. You're almost guaranteed they're going to be gone. I mean, Wilson bucked the trend. He's having a good season outside of his injury. Yeah, maybe, maybe. So it's Colin Wilson. So he had a reverse effect. Instead of disappearing and leaving the Predators, he actually accelerated him because that's a very Colin Wilson thing to do. Right. Well, it's just I think it's just so interesting how uh, in this expansion draft. I don't know. By the way, I don't know what we're going to talk about next season uh, when the expansion draft is over. We're going to have to like invent some new new. Uh, mechanism to talk about because it's, it's given us so much content to talk about I, I mean i really enjoy talking about it 
just because it's interesting. But uh, I don't know. We're gonna have to like I don't know talk about boots. Maybe maybe some bootcast. We can do what Sportsnet did like all of last weekend and basically do like redrafts the past two drafts. Oh, yeah. We, oh, yeah. That's right. We got to do like uh, redrafts. Redrafts. It's like, <laughs> yeah, assuming you know how all the players are going to turn out, now draft them how you'd want. It's like, really? <laughs> so, it's uh, like picking the lottery numbers after the lottery's been drawn. I mean, everyone's a winner at that point. That's true. So, um, anyways, I, it, it's just so interesting the way it's changed. And you know what? In a month, it might change back. We might, we might see uh, a change back to some other way of thinking about it. So, um, uh, that, that takes us through kind of what we want to talk about. I wanted to get to a few Twitter questions. Um, let's get to some Twitter questions. Yeah, let's do that. I think the best one though, and I think I'm going to start with this one cause I think it's a great, a great one to start with. Let me just pull it up. Do, do, do. Pull it up, Alex. Got, I got to find it. Find it and pull it up. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to, um, here we go. And this comes from at Kyle Hancock. What do you think is the most overused word in hockey? Um, there were a lot of responses to this one as well. I'll read, I'll read some of those as well. But when you hear this, is there a word that immediately comes to mind, the most overused word in hockey, or do you have to think about it? I, I had to kind of think about it a little bit, but I think I've got one. So, um, yeah, mine is one that was made famous by everyone's favorite play-by-play guy who there's a small group of us who just, he drives us nuts. Um, and it's I've heard it sort of trickle out through the league um, over the years, and Willie says it a lot, uh, which is the use of, of knife as a verb oh. to mean to poke the puck away. <laughs> now, in there's, there's several ways, there's several definitions for knife as a verb, um, or knife as a, as a word, but in, in the verb context, there's, there's, there's really two. There's to knife somebody, which is to literally stab them with a knife, because you don't knife them with a sword, typically. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one is to um, to do something in an underhand manner. So you're you're basically you're you're stealing something in an underhand. It's kind of an archaic thing. So I still to this day say like the use of knife is just it's a total it's like made up definition. Because most of the time it's not terribly underhanded. It's a guy with a stick poking it directly at the guy who has the puck. Right. Nothing really <laughs> underhanded about that. Nothing sneaky. Uh, and I hear it everywhere. I mean, when Willie started saying it. I just sighed in, in, internally because I knew that was something he had to have picked up from Doc because Doc like just uses words yes. randomly and everyone's like he's so clever I'm like he's just throwing words together <laughs> like just what does that thing look like oh it looks it looks sort of like a wafer cookie so he's gonna call it a wafer cookie and and, and use it as a verb and no one knows what it means to wafer cookie something but Doc's gonna say it and everyone's gonna be like give him an award I don't get it <laughs> but the knife is the most egregious example. What what is your what is your thoughts? I have to sort of think about it, especially like a play by play thing. One thing that some of my friends have come up with as a running joke is the use of the word leadership in hockey. Oh, now, okay. What I do believe the leadership is a big thing, especially in the dressing room and you know them playing and being successful, whatever. But everything is leadership. He got in a fight. That's leadership. He scored a goal. That's leadership. He didn't score a goal. He doesn't. He's not showing leadership. Everything is leadership. Such leadership. Exactly. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, th- some some of the ones y'all came up with. Uh, some someone mentioned ticky tack. I think that's a good one. Uh, I think that's so annoying just to hear. Just that phrase, just kind of grating. Yeah, I also love that that hockey picked it up like ten years after it was popularized in soccer, <laughs> and then everyone stopped using it. Right. So uh, one that came to my mind, and I actually thought about this once um, when the uh, World Juniors were going on because I heard a, a player say this um, is the phrase even keel. 
And I think the thing that I don't like about it is it, it's just so undescriptive of like what they're talking about. Because w- what they mean is that like someone is is uh, has a has a cool head, has like a they're they're very calm and under under control with their emotions. And uh, I just I f- just please you don't have to like write a book, but maybe just learn like two other words. Learn just a few words that can describe some things, and that it's just the the reusing of, of phrases like ticky tack and even keel that just gets so annoying. That's what the that's what you get when you we have standard you know NHLPA media training. Is it, they, they they give you here are the words to use. Yeah, rolling four lines, banging bodies, banging bodies. So uh, one pucks deep, getting shots on the net. You know, it's like yeah. Someone else uh, mentioned um, smart little play, which I think is funny. <laughs> that's, that's a good one because. Oh, that that does come up a lot. Another one I thought of was heady. What a heady play! What? My what? Heady heads Do you mean up. he used his head? Do you mean? It's just what you're saying is that like he was thinking, and he used some intelligence to then then change his body in a way to make the play better. I don't know. It's just very strange. All of the players are using their brains all the time while they're out there. Have you watched? Do you ever watch David Lightman play hockey? <laughs> <laughs> Set you up for that one, hmm? David Legwand, heady player. Oh well, you know what? You know now he's he's he, is he fully retired? Or is he just isn't he? I think he retired. Is he fully retired? Yeah. Like, I know he said announced. That. I didn't know if it was like an end of the season thing or not. Ah, uh, uh, he's probably somewhere on a boat, just thinking about boats. <laughs> he, um, he's a guy who would sit on a boat and be like, I really wish I was on another boat. Like, can I stack my, a boat on top of this boat and be double boating? <laughs> double boating, double boating. If there was David a Legwand. I heard you like the boat, so I put a boat in your boat. He's got, and he drives a little remote control boat from his boat. I mean, and there's a little model of him inside. The guy likes boats. Um, let me go to a couple other questions. Um, How many of them have to do with boats? I, I don't think any. Uh, that's that's not surprising and disappointing, though. All right, this is a, a, one we haven't talked about. Well, we kind of talked about it earlier, but this is from at Jacob Siebert four. Do Preds need to start avenging cheap shots? Example, Edmonton throws elbow at Subban, Preds return with elbow on McDavid or Dreisaitl. Like, in other words, not fighting the player that, that cheap shotted, but going after, uh, you know, McDavid or going after Patrick Kane or, you know, something like that. So this is, this is, this is an interesting question um, and that the answer is no. And let's go on to the next question. I know that's been a big thing, especially like following Edmonton media specifically this year. Like, you know, players will cheap shot McDavid and they're like, oh, we need, you know, to start cheap shotting their best guys. And that's really not the solution. I, I, I mean, I have people are getting upset about. Not to mention you know, it's immoral. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, yeah, I mean, like I, I will still stand by. I don't think Hendricks meant to do that to Subban. I really don't. And there were some other bad calls, you know, like some other injuries. You know, if you watch the Yossi thing, like everyone almost everyone, including myself, thought it was a targeting the head. Turns out it caught Weber's, or Weber, sorry, Yossi's stick weird and, and hit him in the face really hard. It was a wacky thing to happen. I mean, it um, was still interference. Well, it was definitely interference. He got the five minutes, but he was definitely not a targeting the head because it was the stick that smacked him in the face. Uh, but once you start getting into the realm of retaliation, I mean, there's a reason it doesn't happen anymore. And when it does, it actually warrants punishment. Because, you know, Hendricks... Clearly, you know, they, were, they didn't see, they didn't call intent. The league happened to agree. If someone goes out and tries to follow up, I mean, you saw, you know, Watson skate across the ice and, and basically send the game to overtime because of his decision. Right. I, that doesn't help the team. 
by doing stupid things that put the team in, in places of disadvantage. Yeah, there was already enough fighting in that game. I don't think any of the physicality helped the Predators win that game. And, and I there, think it actually hurt them quite a bit. Yeah, it did. And there's gobs of research. You can just you can do web searches. And I, I uh, one of the guys who was we were having a conversation about this. I I sent I just linked him maybe five or six articles about why fighting is not even a deterrent mm-hmm. and why and how hits like increasing the amount of hits doesn't really correlate with any improvement. In, increase in, in 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 performance so you could say that the team needs it. they're not playing hard enough or what have you but there is nothing to indicate that that actually improves or protects your team right so you're basically pursuing a false narrative because that's the hockey's you know famed history and, of and violence then, and then there's the the ethical dilemma of someone hurt my my player so i want to go hurt someone else which is just not not something we need to there's too much of that going on yeah. in the world anyways. And also the best example to all of this is that people are like, should fighting be in hockey? Like, fighting, fighting is, is, is against the rules. You get five <laughs> minutes for fighting. Right. If you fight too much in a game, you get thrown out and possibly suspended. Right. It's already against the rules, but the culture doesn't match the rules. Right. And once the culture matches the rules, no, like fighting will be very, very uncommon because no one's going to be wanted to wanting to be having a player missing in the answer for five minutes. Like no one talks about, you know, there needs to be more charging in hockey. People need players need to start charging and boarding more. Yeah, I mean those are penalties. I mean, you don't it, want to it's do like them. the only head trauma we actively encourage as as hockey fans is is the head trauma from fighting and from punching. everything else. We seem to get angrier about. Right. So uh, one final question um, uh, at Razor Joey underscore Joe: Did the Preds really have better possession and score more goals with PK playing? PK Subban that is. Uh, rather than when he's out of the lineup. I'm not sure if this is coming from some stat that this person saw, but uh, I wouldn't think so, uh, Not over, uh, certainly not over the course of a season. I mean, you are obviously better with P.K. Subban in a, in a full game or a full season than you are without him. Um, if you look at you know two games, three games, even though however many games he was out, there could be some trends there, but I, I would think the, PK, the, players, the Predators are better with P.K. Subban than without I believe Adam Vingen wrote in one of his recent articles about him, the possession stats that the Predators had at the beginning of the season with PK versus what they've had since he's been out. And I believe that they were better with PK Subban in the lineup, and I do believe that he does you know, contribute positively. But on the other hand, we've also had that massive rash of injuries and our entire fourth line just being a bunch of AHL players. Yeah, I, I so hope- you can't – there's not an e- – they, you can't say, okay, the reason why their possession is bad is because PK has been injured. There's just no exact line to be drawn there. When, when, when PK went down and you had all the injuries, there was a change in philosophy how the team was run. And we've talked, we've kind of, we've talked about that ad nauseum, at this, I, th- I think, through the course of the show today. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that says a lot because it was really being run as a very different team. Yeah, We'll have to definitely. see if that continues to change or, or if it reorients as people start coming back from injury. Yeah, that's a good point. So uh, that's gonna that's gonna do it for the Twitter questions. Uh, the week ahead, the Predators play the Wild tonight. Uh, it's actually going on right now. They are currently um, uh, currently down one zero. Mm. Oh, that's oh, lovely. Fun. Uh, two two oh, zero. Pardon. Are you serious? Uh, yeah, I just refreshed it. All right. Well, so that'll happen. Uh, Tuesday they play the Sabers, and they come home for two games before the All Star weekend. So they play three games this week. Uh, then they have the All Star weekend off. Tuesday they play the Sabers. Thursday they play the Blue Jackets. So um, some pretty good teams. Uh, maybe maybe the Sabers are the exception there, but um, Wild and Blue Jackets are definitely good. Um, and then they don't play again until the following Tuesday at Pittsburgh. So um, this week could be a tough week. You know, last week 
they, they ended up getting a couple wins. Who knows what will happen this week. But, um, yeah, so uh, I guess that's going to do it. Any final thoughts or anything? Anything you guys want to add at the last minute here? Um, I guess we have the All-Star break next weekend, right? Yeah. Yeah, so that'll be the All-Star weekend. Fun yeah. jerseys. Oh, we get to see the new. Oh, when there a, there's a new skill. What is it like? The four lines. Oh, the the create the the super shootout or whatever. I don't know if they, uh, there's a name for it, but they're it's doing like, like a super the four, shoot. The four lines are. are yeah, they're, they're doing it. They're doing like a shooting accuracy thing from four different lines, including I, like the end blue lines. What I saw was like a three point shooting contest, but on hockey with hockey. Basically. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess that'll be a thing. And if you like had if you took one of your like I don't know basketball, but if you like one of your defensive guys and made him wear like heavy mittens and made him shoot from the other end, that's they're gonna do that with the goaltenders. <laughs> Are they really? They're gonna have yeah. They're gonna, if you could, if the goaltender like they're gonna let the goaltender shoot from like the the end like the touch line at the okay. end. Yeah. And if they get in the net, they get like some bonus point, like a whole yeah. bunch of bonus points. Do they get like do gold coins come out of the scoreboard like like at a, at a jackpot game? I wish. Maybe that. I mean, I doubt it, but I wish. Oh yeah, there you go. All right, that's gonna do it for us. Uh, Thanks for listening to the podcast. Once again, I'm Alex. You can follow me at AlexDarty1. You can follow Chris Link at at 3D Link or Maria at underscore Maria underscore K. You can follow the show at On the Forecheck, and uh, we appreciate you listening as usual. Thanks for your uh, patronage. (laughs) Thanks a lot. This is uh, the podcast, and we'll see you next time.